where we broadcast our pirate signal back into the matrix. Escapingthecave.com, also on the ChristopherMedia.net network. Thank you, com- comrade. Lock, I got him. No. <laughs> Howdy, Tonzilla Files. Welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave, the Tonzilla X Pod, ChristopherMedia.net, EscapingTheCave.com. Hello. I'm your congenial host, Todd. Hope you're having a good month. <laughs> I put out one podcast since the end of uh, <laughs> August. Oh, you're a loyal Toddzilla File, though. You understand that. You've been missingly, missingly, missing me, missingly, missing me. I have to get my mouth in gear now. Apologies for that. You know what's funny, though? I haven't been doing anything. Did this one podcast last week. Kind of pulled it out of my butt. Reason behind that. Maybe I'll get to that in a bit. But I've been watching my analytics, my downloads. And while they're down because I haven't put anything out, the geographic locations are growing. Several countries, man. I see you, New Zealand, Spain. Good God, Israel, what are you doing listening to me? I mean, I'm glad you're here. I wonder what the hell you're doing, Australia. And around the U.S., uh, different different states as well. And it, it's kind of weird because I haven't put anything out, but people are finding the old stuff. The Propaganda 101 episode is downloading like crazy. Not sure why, but I'm glad. Appreciate that. And uh, dude down there in New Zealand, I'm not going to put you on blast or anything like that, but listen to your dad. Those internal conversations are awesome. Grab a notebook, a pen, and start just writing. Stream of consciousness stuff. Watch what happens. That's all I'm going to say about it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Anyway, yeah, I hope you're having a good week. My birthday is this week. I shall be 29 again. These days aren't happy you get to a certain age anymore. (laughs) Anyway, I did an episode last week. Started out uh, talking about Dave Chappelle and that special that he put out that is just driving all the woke flakes nuts these days. I mean, people are trying to call him a racist and a white supremacist. I've seen it out there. You've seen it out there. I compared him, Dave Chappelle, to being somebody like George Carlin, somebody who just goes on stage with the power of laughter to allow himself, to allow him in front of this mob of people to tell the damn truth. If you want to tell people the truth, make them laugh or else they're going to kill you. That's an old Oscar Wilde quote. Well, Dave Chappelle is as close as we've got to that today. He's managed to be able to get up in front of a crowd and buck conventional wisdom. And that's what I'm going to talk about to start this show today. It's uh, Chappelle, Dave Chappelle, and what I've called social totalitarianism. That's what we're dealing with here. He has an unacceptable point of view. He has an unacceptable opinion, an unacceptable perspective that he dared to get on stage in front of people, real-life people, not somewhere on Gab or on 4chan or 8chan. No, Dave Chappelle had the gall to put this unconventional, unacceptable, in quotes, doing the air quote thing here, unacceptable position in front of people on netflix and oh my god the totalitarian left is going batshit see they think they think they've got a monopoly not only on stand-up comedy but also on the entire entertainment industry this liberal media bias thing that everybody likes to call a myth that's bullshit it is a real thing all you have to do is open your damn eyes turn on a television and you're going to see liberal media biased oozing oozing from your LED screen constant. It's everywhere. 
And these folks have come to the conclusion that it's not really bias, it's just right. The self-righteousness, the cultish fanaticism, that their viewpoint is the only one that's acceptable, the only one that's right, is an infection upon not only stand-up comedy, but also upon the entire entertainment industry. I'm not saying anything new here. You've heard this put forth before, but it's true. And when you buck that, as Dave Chappelle had the gall to do in this uh, Netflix special, oh my God, here come the wolves upon the carcass to feast. Right? Yeah, liberals seem to think that they're entitled to this monopoly on stand-up comedy and the rest of the entertainment industry. That only one acceptable point of view or perspective. He's laid this totalitarian attitude toward thought and speech crime It's not legislated yet, but they're working on it. He's laid that bare. And of course, he's not the only example. He's only one of the most recent. This happens a lot. It happened. It's not just a liberal trait. Do you remember the Dixie Chicks about 15 years ago? The the conservatives were just as bad. They wanted the Dixie Chicks canceled just as bad as the woke flake cult wants Dave Chappelle canceled today. And anybody else who happens to presume to go against the woke flake scripture. It's not isolated to one ideology or another. This is bilateral Puritanism. And it is a problem. And they're working on... (laughs) There have been hate speech laws in Europe. I don't know, for years. I, I didn't go back and research it. I don't know when they came about, but it's been around for a long, 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 long time. And back when I was in the resistance, when I myself was a woke flake, I wasn't really a woke flake. I can't say that. I cannot say that I was a woke. I tolerated wokeism. Because I was a liberal. I I consider myself a progressive. They weren't that much of a threat. Okay, well, now that's changed. And I remember having conversations with my woke flake friends because that's always bothered me. This idea of thought crime and speech crime. Speech crime in particular, hate speech. Being able to be prosecuted and punished for something you say. Always bothered me. And it bothered me when I was part of the, the liberal camp. And I would have conversations with people like, do you really think it's a good idea to start legislating crime again? Well, they do it in Europe. I think we should do that here. And it's always bothered me. It was one of those little seeds that planted in my skull back when I was part of this. It took a little while to grow, to take root and to sprout. And what this is becoming a a sequoia of disgust. Sequoia of Disgust. I'm going to write this down. That may be the name of this episode. It's it's become a Sequoia of Disgust. And that's what we're kind of dealing with with Chappelle. That's what we're dealing with, with with cancel culture. They can't legislate it. They can't legislate something against the First Amendment. But by God, they can create the culture police that run around and, and will punish you that will exile you away from the entertainment industry to take away your access anytime the mob chooses to storm the stage and yank you from it. I don't really particularly care for Gab, you know, the alternative social media site. I don't care for it. I've never actually been to the site. All right. But I understand where they're coming from. I have an anecdote that I could tell you, but I don't want to about how this is starting to work. Uh, People are getting knocked off of platforms. Tatiana McGrath, do you know, I think that's its name. (laughs) 
is a Twitter account. It's a parody Twitter account of a comedian who's basically taken the perspective of an intersectional woke flake chick. That parody account, clearly a parody account. Some of these parody accounts aren't really parody. You can't tell the difference. This one was obvious. It was hilarious. Uh, Hundreds of thousands of followers. Twitter suspended that account because it was clearly going against the woke flake doctrine. It was making fun of it. This is happening on all sorts of different platforms, especially Twitter. Twitter is purging its roles, presumably, uh, supposedly, in preparation for the election. What does Tatiana McGrath have to do with the election? Nothing. The denunciation crowd is getting emboldened by cancel culture. They think if they report you, it has been going on for a long time, they think if they report you, that they can have you silenced. Why are they reporting you? Is it really hate speech or just speech you don't like? Is it speech? You, do you consider it hate speech because you hate what it says? Is that what, yeah. Well, what we're dealing with here. I promise you. But that's starting to move into the realm of thought crime and speech crime. They cannot legislate it. They can't make it literally a crime where the police will come and put you in cuffs and drag you away. We're coming to take me away. Haha. <laughs> no, they can't quite do that yet. A lot of these far lefties would love to do that. I'm not putting every single liberal in this category, by the way. I know it sounds like I am. I'm really not. There are sensible liberals out there. There's a line. There's a line beyond which... I haven't identified it. I think I talked about this in the last episode. I'm talking about you fuckers who are residing on the other side of that line. The totalitarian line. Where your viewpoint is the only one allowed. Your viewpoint, your perspective and point of view is the only one that's acceptable. Yours. And anything you don't like, you're going to look for any fucking reason, any reason whatsoever to silence it. You are a cultural censor. That's what I'm talking about here. If you're beyond that line, I'm talking directly to you, Snowflake. The rest of you folks, the rest of you sensible liberals who just believe in like universal health care, Medicaid for all, stuff like that, free education. All right, fine. You and I have a lot of common ground we can discuss, but you start getting beyond this. You start getting beyond this line, this totalitarian line where you just absolutely feel like you must silence anything that's blaspheming your religion, your cult, your social justice. Jesus, you and I have a serious problem, and we're going to continue to have one. Even more of one, I dare say. So yeah, thought crime, speech crime, stuff like that. It's a liberal attitude of narrative authoritarianism. Only one narrative allowed saturates nearly every aspect of major media to the point that they've just come to believe that this ideological cult, the cult of subjective and celestial justice, is almost literally the word of God. Almost literally the word of God. All who dare blaspheme against the holy word must be stoned, metaphorically speaking, at least for now, in the public square. Shaming. Call out culture. Cancel culture. We stone the blaspheming center. We call it cancel culture. That's what that is right now. It's cancel culture. And of course, it's puritanism as well. 
That famous liberal media bias, any fool can see it. It is a very real thing. Not only that, it's getting worse. Worse. And currently, and in the short term anyway, the liberal media bias is at a disadvantage. Sort of. Because it's diffuse. It's everywhere. It's in different places. There are so many liberal outlets to choose from. And so many voices of different extremist intensity that it's actually a problem right now. Stay with me here. You're not going to like where this is going. You need to stay with me here. It's a problem for liberals right now. In much the same way that the Tea Party extremists, you know, the burn it down crowd, they were a problem for the right maybe five or ten years ago. Unfocused, unorganized, raging in all identity-based directions. Identity politics. The politics of me. That's where it's unfocused and unorganized right now. Raging in all directions, therefore not much of a threat. Not much of a threat. Not unlike how the Tea Party really, honestly, wasn't much of a real threat to the established order of the Obama era. The Tea Party had its one election in 2012, the midterm, or uh, I'm sorry, in uh, 2010. They had that one midterm where everybody thought the, the Tea Party was going to be a big thing. They were going to take over American politics, or at least the Republican Party. It didn't happen. Mitt Romney was trounced in 2012. After that big Tea Party wave in 2010. I hear echoes of this constantly when we they start talking about the blue wave, the blue tsunami last year. Where's it at? I haven't used this in a few weeks. The blue tsunami, the blue wave. Oh yeah, it was so awesome. You haven't accomplished a damn thing. You couldn't even get the get the investigation right. You have nothing. You lost Senate seats. It's nothing. It's a paper wave. Paper and waves don't mix. Anyway, that's what I hear when I hear people bleeding about this blue wave of last fall. What has changed in the last year? Outside of the rhetoric, outside of the grandstanding. Impeachment hearing. We're going to have impeachment hearings now. Oh, let's go try to impeach Judge Kavanaugh. Let's have an... Oh, goodness. <laughs> I don't care what you thought about Christine Blasey Ford or whatever the fuck her name was a year ago. The latest one from the New York Times. Oh, that's just rich. And the credibility falls just a little bit further, doesn't it? Grandstanding. Political theater. I'm going to resist the urge to go off on a rant. And a tangent. <laughs> anyway, yeah, the, the Tea Party wasn't much of a real threat uh, to the established order of the Obama administration. It was a threat to the Republican establishment, that's for sure. Caused major disruptions in the Republican establishment. But everything's changed now. All right, The Tea Party has since rebranded itself the Freedom Caucus. We all know that, correct? And the Freedom Caucus and the Tea Party does not resemble anything that Justin Amash or any other teabagger of old looked like. And make no mistake about this. This is very, very important. Donald Trump is the Tea Party's bastard son. He is the byproduct of that tear-it-all-down mentality that sprouted up in 2009 after Obama was elected. Fuck them all! Tear the party! Blah, 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 blah. And as far as Chris and I detected hitchhiking back as, as far back as 2009, 
The generalized backlash was simmering. It was building out there in the real and organic world long before the Tea Party really did anything. That's the fertility of the soil. This generalized backlash to Obama and liberalism. Self-righteousness, pomposity. It was building in the real organic world. It was building online. It was building within conservative media in general. All it needed was something or someone to bring it together. We have a word for it in the English language, demagogue. A constant, consistent, reflecting, reflecting voice around which to rally. I predicted this backlash. I predicted it was coming years ago. I saw it building after Obama's election. I wrote about it as far back as 2009. Wrote about saying that the coming conservative backlash would make the Bush years look like Camelot. That's almost a direct quote. Of something I wrote in the summer, late summer of 2009. That the coming conservative backlash would make the Bush years look like Camelot. I also talked about the threat of an unforeseen conservative demagogue in my original podcast back in 2014. They still were, were sort of just like, just scattered around the conservative spectrum. Not, nothing really to bring them together. And along comes a spider. Right? Never thought it would be Donald Trump. I never thought it would be somebody like that, but whatever. I'll get to that in a minute. I also said that the same thing was going to happen with the Green Tea Party, the far left, if Trump managed to get himself elected in 2016, that that was just going to push the, 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 the far left, the extremist, the radical liberal left. Off the edge, they're going to lose their shit. They're going to lose their friggin' minds. They're going to turn in to the liberal version of the Tea Party I call the Green Tea Party. Now, fast forward to 2019. All that's missing, the only thing that's missing right now, it's just not apparent yet, it's coming, is the photonegative response. A tear-it-all-down, pseudo-revolutionary socialist demagogue. Now, the DNC, back in 2016, worked against the quote-unquote independent. It's not even a quote-unquote. Bernie Sanders was an independent in 2016. He was a socialist, an independent socialist, for the purposes of the election, disguised as a Democrat. I've never understood the outrage and the, 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 the shock and awe that the DNC would actually actively work against Bernie Sanders in favor of Hillary Clinton. Bernie Sanders wasn't a Democrat. He's always been an independent. He's a socialist, not a Democrat. Why would the Democratic National Committee tolerate a political interloper as opposed to their own candidate? How would you expect the DNC not to work against Bernie? Just because he says, for right now, I'm a Democrat until I get elected. I've never understood that. I've never understood the shock there, the outrage. Of course they're going to work against him. But Bernie tapped into that, that as, as yet anyway, mostly unexploited, destructive, tear-it-down urge. He tapped into that back in 2016. The problem with Bernie was he was rejected by black voters. Black voters like Clinton everywhere, liked him a lot more than him. That's what sunk Bernie Sanders in 2016, his inability to get black support. I mean, he still competed quite well without it. Imagine if he had it. 
He may have gotten the nomination anyway in 2016. There may have been nothing the DNC could do about it, but he didn't. Look, I never imagined, I said this a second ago, I never imagined it would be Donald fucking Trump. Because I, I actually gave conservatives, and the American people in general, at least initially, more credit than that. When he announced that candidacy back in June, I think, of 2015, I sort of chuckled. We're not that stupid. I wasn't chuckling at the end of 2015 when I went down to Peru and was having conversations with people down there. These foreigners, these Europeans, oh, Americans will never vote for Donald Trump. They are not that stupid, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> he could win. And they laughed at me. But I'll tell you right now, as I sit here in September of 2019, I suspect, strongly suspect, that the equal and opposite batshit liberal version of Donald Trump is lurking out there somewhere. Just waiting to hatch. I've considered this. A lot of people think it's AOC. I'm not so sure. Not yet, anyway. And if and when Trump is reelected, I think this is going to be the point in time where the mainstream left does exactly what the mainstream right did with the Tea Party. They're going to join up with the Green Tea Party and go clinically insane. In that Lipman-esque environment, we're all tethering to reality and therefore the ability to tell truth from falsehood or even care that there's a distinction when that's abandoned. This time on the left, just as it's happened with the right in the last few years, that woke flake messiah, that false prophet, that false messiah is going to spring forth from America's kale fields probably sipping shitty craft beer, maybe clapping with their fingertips. Oh, don't make any noise. It'll trigger me. I have, I have anxiety issues. I can't focus. Clap with your fingertips. Doing that shit. And calling each other comrade. Whatever the specifics, though, they're going to be effectively peddling any and all ridiculous shit that the comrade hordes want to hear. And just like the Trump bots that we all love to mock, they're going to be gulping it down like holy water. Inconsistencies and lies be damned. It won't matter. It's not the facts. It's not the words that matter. It'll become the team that matters. And we're already there. We just don't have the demagogue yet. And they're going to gulp it down like holy water because to them, that's exactly what the woke flake demagogue's warm piss is going to taste like. Mm. I like to remind you regularly, I'd also detected... The Facebook disinformation campaign back in the fall of 2014. I didn't identify it. I didn't know where it was coming from. I just knew that they were getting this shit from somewhere. That it was coming from a source. Springing forth from a source being regurgitated into the virtual ecosystem. And this was before Trump. Okay? This has been going on long before Trump. Trump didn't hatch this. He didn't birth this. <laughs> There's some birtherism for you. And yeah, sure, at the time... I was ignorant of basically the generalized agitation technique, okay? How agitation is an aspect, a simple aspect of insurgent propaganda, and which, in reality, was directed at both sides of the election and through the 2016 election, up and through the last week of the election. It's still happening today. I confess, I'd mostly missed it on the left, running up to 2016, and that was because, well, I was drunk. <laughs> drunk on the, on, the, on the stuff myself. I confess that. As is always the case. Always the case with propaganda. 
It was clear as day in them. The stuff that I was seeing, the agitation stuff that I was seeing, the, disin- the disinformation that I was seeing in 2014, was I was only seeing it as it pertained to conservatives. I'd completely missed it in liberals. I was digesting it. I was spreading it. I can't run from that. I was. Look how bad they are. But when they were doing the same thing to liberals, it just did That's how propaganda works, my friends. You won't see it in yourself. You won't see it in your team. You'll see it in theirs, though. I love to sarcastically call myself Tostradamus. But in, in truth, I am not claiming to be any kind of a prophet. Really. This, most of this was and is simple common sense. It doesn't take any remarkable powers of cognitive processing to see this at work. It's Newtonian physics. Newtonian physics is mostly antiquated now. But Newton's third law of extremism still applies here. For every radicalization, there's an equal and opposite radicalization. And in an equal, divided country... With free-range access to information, that is especially true. At this point, at least for me personally, it's, it's tempting to revisit the data overload topic. Something I've been beating on for a couple of months now and I will continue beating on when I get back to my theme. This is how people become inundated, how they become confused. They have no idea what to believe, so they adopt what Whichever narrative puts them at the center of the universe and narcissistically casts them as the enlightened and chosen ones. Talked about that last week. We are the chosen ones to whom we're sent to save the world and society from evil. God is on our side. Or they'll choose whichever fiction provides them sausage party hope. Vision of political heaven of one kind or another, which in reality is as fantastical as the literal idea of heaven. We have your ticket to the promised land. All you have to do is follow us. Vote for us. We'll take you there. Send money. <laughs> it's a modern day equivalent of slaves in the field. Yeah, stay with me here. You know, slaves in the field singing their spirituals to convince themselves that God holds salvation in his hands in the next life. All you have to do is believe, have faith, and you'll get salvation. The concept of heaven gave slaves hope, and utopia provides the same service for a confused, deluded species who can only see and comprehend the world in which it lives via electronic eyes and digital distortions. The Funhouse Mirrors. Ideologies, they are fairy tales told to children to explain the world for them in as simplistic terms as possible. Can you imagine? Can you imagine telling a child the truth that justice and fairness are abstract human inventions only existing in the human mind? They do not exist anywhere else in the universe. Justice and fairness are human concoctions. Therefore, they demand human cooperation to be, in any sense, to make the the abstraction real, you have got to have people cooperating. Or, you've got to be able to enforce your version of the abstraction on someone else. Thus, laws. Thus, taking too far tyranny. If you told a seven-year-old that, maybe a five-year-old, they would run away bawling. Ah, no! 
into the arms of any loving God they could find, or more accurately and more dangerously, any predator they could find claiming to represent God, the God of fairness and justice. Fifteen years ago, the original resistance could not even fathom a Republican presidency worse than George Bush and Dick Cheney. I was part of that. Another fun exercise, compare the Johns, Edwards and Kerry. Compare them to Lizzie and Bernie today. How far they've come towards the extreme end. Now, Joe Biden, okay, he's sort of a throwback. Or maybe he's, an, um, I don't know, the exhausted majority's last desperate gasp at even a relative notion of centrism. The symbol. He's sort of a relic, a symbol of what today is considered by many to be toxic compromise. Whomever wins or loses next year, it does not matter. I can't believe you said that, blasphemer. Thinner? That's filthy talk. It doesn't. I'm going to tell you why. Because the script, this isn't conspiracy here. The script, though, is already written. It's been being written for three years. The vanquished cult, whichever one it is, all right, is going to mount a government-paralyzing counteroffensive, one likely even more intense and ridiculous than we've seen for the last decade. This has been going on longer than three years, longer than Russiagate. Benghazi! 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 Pizzagate! Pizzagate! Of course, the Mueller investigation. Kavanaugh, that's continuing. They're attacking this. Do you think, do you really think that this, this election next year is going to end that? Do you really think that that's going to stop? Do you really think that Lizzie or Biden or Bernie is going to bring the country together under the power of their charisma? Are you going to bring the hordes, the evil, filthy hordes, into your camp. You're going to hypnotize them with your socialist talk. Are you going to suddenly see the light and decide that Trump's America is okay, that, okay, we can work with this? Are you going to do that? I ask you, how can you see any other possibility? How can you sit here and listen to Elizabeth Warren? I love the girl. I love her. She was my girl back in 2016. I would have voted for her had she run. How can you listen to her talking about Medicaid for all and free college or whoever it is is talking about free college? How can you sit there, listen to these platitudes, these promises, these religious grade, I'm going to bring you heaven on earth after we survive Armageddon. How can you listen to that, not look around at the landscape in which we live and understand that that is Trump's wall? Except, except Trump found a way to get it done. Democrats don't do that. They can't go. They can't use his tactics now, can they? You're going to use executive orders. You're going to stop. You know, you're going to, you're going to start ignoring subpoenas and investigations, just like Trump is. Just like you've been complaining about Trump doing for the last three years. Are you going to do the same thing now when Republicans do it? And is your justification going to be well? They did it. Then you're no better. You have no standard any higher than they do. You are letting Donald Trump and the Republican Party establish your values for you. Which I think a lot of you think is okay. You hate his totalitarianism. You hate his authoritarian strain because he's not your authoritarian. You would love to see Elizabeth Warren march on into the Oval Office and start pushing out, shitting out, farting out executive orders. 
on a daily basis, maybe on gun control or something. Declare a national climate change emergency or a national emergency on guns. Then you won't be outraged by the authoritarianism at all, will you? You'll love it. You'll forget all, how, all about how outraged you were when Trump did it because he was the bad guy doing it. But we're the good guys. Our God's authoritarianism and puritanism is fine. Right? Is that how that's going to go? You're no better. You are no better than him, if that's the case. And you're not going to run into any less resistance than you're providing him at this point. Therefore, therefore, gridlock is guaranteed. I, I'd like to see your work. I keep saying that. I keep using that phrase. But if you think Elizabeth Warren is going to soothe the savage beast and make heaven on earth possible, utopia, make it possible so everybody has Medicare and everybody has free education, all these big grandiose ideas, Nothing but pie-in-the-sky promises to get you to vote. None of this can happen until we fix us. We, as I keep saying on this podcast, uncomfortably for many of you, we and our own authoritarian strains are the problem. You think Bernie's going to do it? (laughs) What about groping Grandpa Joe? Is he going to bring the country together? Are people going to unify under Joe Biden's umbrella? Sing Kumbaya by 2024. Is that going to happen? You know, is he going to be the inoculate, the inoculation to the extremist pandemic? The radicalizing plague that we've been suffering through for a decade now. Probably longer. I don't even want to do the math. I, I think I could take this back to the 2000 election, though, in the Supreme Court decided who was president. I think we crossed a line there. I'm not going to get into that today. Anyway, this is why, precisely why, I do not bother listening to any of these quote-unquote big ideas that the Democrats keep putting forth. The pragmatists have this right, and you will not listen to them. You do not want to hear pragmatism. You want to hear as big a fiction as you possibly can. You want the big story. You want the fairy tale so you can delude yourself into believing it. You might as well, because nothing's going to happen anyway. Even the pragmatists are probably going too far down bullshit creek when they talk about bipartisanship and all this other stuff. So why not go big up shit creek, right? If you're going to just talk bullshit and you're going to inject, give people the sausage party hope enema, you might as well make it a big one. Right? Why not? All of these ideas impossible to even begin implementing unless, of course, as I said, you favor forcibly oppressing the opposition and its party. Which I'm sad to say, I know. I know this for a fact. I know this for a fact. Many, 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 many of you do, do favor that. Get to more on that in a minute. I'm going to repeat this one more time. Even though I know it's sacrilege in this country, these national elections no longer matter. It's become a case of tyrant versus tyrant. But the real tyrants, the real tyrants are not the politicians. 
It's not Donald Trump. Yes, he is. He's the tyrant. No, stay with me. Don't get ahead of me here. The real tyrants are us. The people. We want, we crave, we demand authoritarian power for ourselves. It's starting to seep forth in like little ideas like, like direct democracy. How people will tell themselves that direct democracy is a good idea. That's mob rule. That is authoritarianism. Taking a voice away from half the country. If you win by 50.5 percentage points, you win an election by 50.5, the other 49.5% of the country, their voice does not matter. That is tyranny. It's why we are a republic. It's why direct democracy is a joke. It doesn't work. Now, the real tyrants are us. We are the authoritarians. And the politicians, Trump included, I don't know, maybe he has this authoritarian strain to him, but he figured out that his time had come. And the rest of these politicians, why do you think you're, you're hearing Beto O'Rourke talk about taking guns away? I think it was Kamala Harris. Was she the one that says she's going to use an executive order against the Second Amendment? Really? And yet, you're not an authoritarian. Oh, yeah! Ooh, yeah! Executive order, take them guns away! And you're not an authoritarian. Square that circle for me. Of course you are. But you're an authoritarian for right. Huh? Well, so are they. In their minds. The politicians have to follow suit. You can ask Justin Amash about that. Right up the road here in Grand Rapids. The guy that came out against Trump. He left the uh, Freedom Caucus. I think he's left the Republican Party. Ask him how that primary challenge is looking up there. And that is mob rule. <laughs> That's the cancer of direct democracy. That's the authoritarianism of the mob. You have come out against and blasphemed against the golden... Sorry, the orange and calf. <laughs> Therefore, you must be deposed. Authoritarianism. Puritanism. And the purity test is going to be coming. It's going to start. It's already begun. What am I talking about? It's already begun to infect the left. Alexandria Garcia Cortez. And, uh, you know, her little primary threat a couple of months back. Already people on the left are starting to out people who have donated to Trump, to his campaign. You're telling me there's not a purity test coming from the left now? Bitch, please. Finally, do not for one second believe that Donald Trump is the ultimate realization of this bilateral radicalization. It's going to get worse. The ping pong game hasn't ended. Think about this. We're still more than a year out from the latest uh, most important election ever. And we're five years from the next most important election ever. By comparison, looking backwards to 2016, Donald Trump has only been a political entity for four years. What do you imagine things could look like in another five? Say Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren gets elected president. Do you think that the Republicans, the people who elected Donald Trump, are just going to go into hibernation, admit defeat, and say, no, gosh darn it, we lost, we're done, you're right. Or are they going to go? Are they going to continue? The path that they've been on since 2009 with Tea Party and the reaction to Barack Obama. And Republicans, if you think that Trump's re-election is going to have that effect on Democrats, the resistance, 
you've got to be smoking some good stuff. And a lot of it. Do you think this is just going to miraculously get any better? Maybe get a respite of maybe two months like we did after 2016, but it's not going to get any better. This resistance isn't going to get any, I don't know, calmer. It's not going to moderate itself. Say, oh, I guess maybe Donald Trump is really tapping into something. Maybe we should look at our... That is not going to happen. They're not going to look at themselves. They're going to double down. They're going to go look for their... Donald Trump, their woke flake demagogue. And they'll find it eventually. And I want you to, I want you to think about this. I want you to, maybe 10 years ago, in 2009, who do you think the Tea Party demagogue would have been? I mean, if you can kind of abstractly project yourself back to 2009, who do you think the Tea Party demagogue might have been? It couldn't have been Palin, right? Could it? <laughs> That was my fear. It was going to be Sarah fucking Palin. And thankfully it wasn't. But who did you think, who, do you, who did you imagine that it could have been? Outside of Palin, who within the Tea Party did you think could have brought and coalesced the entire Republican far-right movement uh, underneath one umbrella? Bringing the moderates into the camp and also uniting the extremists. Who did you imagine that could have been? Did you imagine it could be Donald Trump? At that point in time. Honestly. I know it's funny. Yeah, oh, they're just fucking stupid. I know that's a fun game to play. But at the time, did you really think that that was a possibility? Project forward now four or five years. You win the election. What do you think could possibly come out of that swamp? This isn't done by a damn sight. And if Donald Trump gets reelected, I am warning you with everything that I am and everything that I know, watch out for what's going to come out of the left. There's a long history of dangerous far-left extremism rising up. And they are. Socialism, communism, the far-left is the ideology of insurgency. It's the ideology of revolution. They talk about revolution. We need a political revolution. They're not really speaking hyperbolically. Some of them are. A lot of people on the extreme left, the extreme left, Antifa, all these other folks, they literally want some kind of a political revolution. Some of them want an actual legitimate, an actual literal revolution. The means that are being used here in this country against and by both sides, agitation propaganda is the propaganda of insurgency and revolution. It's designed to destabilize a country from within, divide and make them easier to conquer, have them fighting themselves, destroy morale within, have people give up hope so they have less of a will to fight for their own country. That, as we've seen, through this podcast and Jacques Ellul's book, that is the technique of agitation propaganda. And it's working. It doesn't matter if it's coming from Putin. It doesn't matter if it's coming from overseas. We're doing it to ourselves now. He doesn't need to do anything. Putin can sit over there and laugh. He can stick his thumb in his butt, have a shot of vodka, and watch the fun and merriment. Because we're doing it to ourselves now. I don't know what happened in 2016. I know something happened in 2016. But the problem is we were doing this, I think, to ourselves long before that. We were already fighting. He's sort of like the guy who walks up, sees people arguing, and says, hey, he called you a faggot. He called you a little bitch. You two should fight. 
That's his role here. We're more than happy to fall into that trap. Rather than turning and looking at this bitch, <laughs> looking at each other and ganging up on him and kicking the living snot out of him. Now we're going to kick the living snot out of ourselves. And he's going to sit there. Smug look on his face. Maybe sitting atop his horsey without a shirt on. Hey, look at what I did. <laughs> look what they did to themselves. I told you in the last episode, I am not going to provide you with imaginary hope. I see no indication of any of this. I've been saying a lot of the same stuff that I put forth in this podcast. I've been saying a lot of it for a really long time. I've been looking, as I said in the podcast as well, last episode, I have been looking for indications that I'm wrong, that I'm just being a cynic, that I'm being a fatalist, that I'm being unreasonably and chronically negative rather than being realistic. Where is it? I am blind to this. I cannot see it. I cannot find it anywhere. But all you got to do is listen to Elizabeth Warren, listen about utopia and heaven, and she's going to shut the fuck up. No, 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 I don't. I don't. I know what that is. I am still available for children's parties. You can call this week and get half off. Use the promo code Winter is here. Eventually, I'm going to get back to the propaganda material. I've got uh, more stuff that I want to do. This was supposed to encompass about three different things. I did one. <laughs> but I want to get some out today. I got to fix us, my friends. It's us. It's us. It's the people. Need a big, clean mirror. And a trunkload of Windex and maybe some paper towels. Escaping the Cave podcast, ChristopherMedia.net. That's the network. Check out Chris's place for all of your podcast needs. My website, EscapingTheCave.com. Thanks to all the new listeners. Wherefore art thou? <laughs> Wherever you are. Sorry. I do appreciate the patronage. You're going to get back into more of a routine. Hopefully soon. Hopefully very soon. Yeah. We'll see. Thanks for clicking it. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. So long.